Hi, and welcome to Follow Baptist Church's weekly message podcast. My name's Luke Williams, and I'm the lead pastor, and we're thrilled to have you joining us. We hope the message today inspires you and helps you follow Jesus in your community for His glory. Here's the message. Uh, We're going to be opening up our Bibles now. Uh, so let me invite you to take those out. Uh, if you don't have one with you and you want one, they're in the baskets on the aisles. Uh, we're looking at John chapter 15 today, and we're going to be reading uh, from verses 1 through to verse 7. Okay, so John, oh, sorry, 17, not 7. Uh, John 15, 1 through to 17. Okay, here we go. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean, because the word I have spoken to you is in you. Sorry, I've lost my spot. Because of the word I have spoken to you, remain in me, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown, that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love one another. Amen. Let's welcome Luke. Thank you, Hayden. Good morning, everyone. Well, this morning, if you wear prescription glasses, why don't you stand to your feet for a second? Gosh, what a bunch of blind people, right? For all those standing, I've got some good news for you today. You can take your glasses off. You can throw them away today. Because today, for the first time, for the first time in a long time, you're going to get 20-20 vision. Isn't that great? Excellent. All right, you can sit down again. What better way to start Vision Month than with a corny dad joke? Always a great way to start. And if my glasses weren't so trendy, I'd throw mine out as well. But we all know that these are as much a fashion statement as they are a vision aid. And so I've had lots of feedback about them, some positive, a lot negative. I don't really care. I like them. (laughs) If you're visiting today, you're probably thinking, what on earth is going on? Well, you've come in on week one of Vision Month, which we do every year at Follow. 
And every year we have a theme for Vision Month. And really that theme helps us to focus in and hone in on a particular um, part of the vision for that year to come. And so can anyone remember what last year's theme was, Vision Month? Change for growth. Very good. These two top marks down the front here. Very good. Well, last year was change for growth. And I must admit, we got a few months into that topic last year. And I thought to myself, why on earth did we choose this topic? Because change isn't always easy, is it? I thought maybe we could have chosen something a little bit easier than change for growth. But the bottom line is it wasn't our theme, it was God's theme. And we did see some significant change in 2019. And I think it set us up for some real future growth. Um, some of those changes. Part of that change is a new associate pastor that we announced today, Adam Mahale, who's commencing in Feb. And I think that's a super exciting part of uh, Change for Growth for this year. And so we really look forward to welcoming him into the staff team and to our church family. Hopefully last year was a a year of good change for you, Um, a change that you grew in your faith, um, you became more like Jesus. And I hope you're more like Jesus today than you were at this time last year, because discipleship is change, right? Change is discipleship. We might say, well, we don't like change or we do like change, but discipleship is change. And it's inevitable. If the Holy Spirit's working in our lives, he's going to be changing us from the inside out to become more like Christ. And so don't think because Change for Growth was last year's series that it means that we stop changing and we stop growing. Because that is something that should be happening every single year. And I hope this year is a great year of change for growth for you. This year's theme, you've probably seen already up on the screen, is to bloom where you're planted. And if I was to sum it up concisely, we see 2020 as a year of equipping to help us more effectively live for Jesus wherever God has planted us. That might be primarily and firstly in your family. And some of us here have amazing families and you enjoy family life and some of you have more difficult family experiences, but it's no accident that God's placed you in your family. And so what does it look like this year to bloom in the family that you've been planted in and to represent Jesus in that space. And it's not just family. What does it mean in your friendship circle? What does it mean in your church community here at Follow to bloom where you're planted? What does it mean in the local community? What does it mean in your workplace or in your school or in your university? What does it mean to bloom where you're planted? Because God has planted us in those places in this particular season of our lives, and the question we all need to answer is how do we represent Jesus and bear fruit in those places? How do we bloom where we've been planted? It's beautiful when you plant a plant and it flourishes and produces something. Most of us have front gardens and in many of those gardens you'll find flowers and flowers are colourful and they're beautiful and you can probably see in our graphic today that James Ricardo's put together for us that that flowers are beautiful and colourful and they, they add an aroma, don't they, to any space that you plant them in. This is why as husbands we give flowers to our wives as a sign that we're thinking of them, that we love them or that we're making up for doing something wrong. But they're also a reminder that our wives are beautiful and they're precious like the flowers they are receiving. Now, my wife is not a flower person. She doesn't like receiving flowers. And so you might be thinking, Luke, you are so lucky. That must have saved you a fortune over the years not buying flowers. Well, I wish that was true, but unfortunately it's not because flowers have been substituted for something else and that something else is chocolate and the amount of money we spend on chocolate far supersedes any money we would have spent on flowers. And so if your wife is a flowers person and not a chocolate person, be grateful. 
But if your wife is a flowers person and a chocolate person, may the Lord have mercy on your soul. (laughs) Flowers are beautiful, and so is chocolate. But when you see a flower in bloom, you know that it's the end result of a healthy plant doing what it's meant to be doing, that is, producing. In 2020, we are reading the Bible in one year together as a community, the B-I-O-Y. If you haven't started yet, it's not too late. You can just jump on our website and all the details are there and you can just pick it up at February 2nd and you can read along with us. But as I've read through it so far and what I've noticed in a, in a lot of the readings this year is how attractive God's people can be to those who don't yet know God when they are living lives that are fruitful. They stand out. God's blessing on their lives is obvious and others want to know why. And I believe in the same way today, when the world sees Christians who are blooming wherever they are planted, they are often attracted to us because we bring joy and compassion. We bring faith and new life to any environment that we find ourselves in. The Bible says we are the light of the world. And in a world that is getting increasingly dark, we should be shining in a way that's increasingly bright because Light permeates the darkness. In fact, there's no such thing scientifically as darkness. It's merely just the absence of light. And so you and I have a job as kingdom people, as followers of Jesus, as Christians, whatever you want to call us, we have a job to actually take the light of the world, Jesus in us, into all those dark spaces where God plants us to be. And that's a wonderful privilege to have. But I must admit I'm increasingly troubled by the posture of so many Christians who are meant to be light but often don't behave like it. What I see in so many Christians these days is a posture of panic. We panic about losing control. We panic about the darkness of the world. We panic about every social issue. We panic about people's opinions. And we perpetuate the panic with our words, with our lives, and most obviously with our social media posts. Let me ask you a question this morning. When is the last time you won an argument on Facebook? (laughs) When's the last time that you convinced someone who's held an opinion for their whole life or the last 20 years and you've just put one snarky comment on their Facebook profile and they've gone, oh, I wish wish I'd seen that before. Now that you've put that comment there, now I know that I was wrong and you were right. How many times has that happened to you? Let me let you in on a little secret. It never happens. All it does is you make them feel bad about themselves and they make you feel bad about yourself when they come back at you. And now we're all angry and we're all depressed and all we've done is added to the anxiety of our world. You know, a lot of Christians I know are more known for what they stand against than what they stand for. What a tragedy that is. When we serve the saviour of the universe who's rescued us from our sin, when we have the greatest news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we've encountered the most radical love you can ever encounter and we're known more for what we stand against than what we stand for. What a tragedy that is. What a tragedy. You know, a lot of Christians walk around angry with the world. It's us versus them. We put up walls and we shut people out and we cast judgment and we're so obsessed with things like being right and knowing all the answers and having the last word and being the loudest voice that we miss who God actually wants us to be in that moment and in that in this world. I think that in a world that is increasingly anxious, God is calling us to be a non-anxious presence. 
Because while it's true that we live in a dark and broken world that seems to get darker all the time, at the end of the day we can lift our eyes and remind ourselves that we serve a God who's still on the throne and always will be no matter what we go through. When I think about blooming where we're planted, I think of the fruits of the Spirit. And as I read through the the list in Galatians 5, I'll tell you some words I don't see. I don't see anxiety. I don't see outrage. And I don't see panic on that list. I'll tell you what I do see. I see love. I see joy. I see peace. I see patience. Just wanted to make you wait for that one. I see kindness, I see goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and here's a novel one, self-control. These are the fruits of the Spirit. I believe God wants us to bloom with that kind of fruit wherever we're planted. Now, it's hard for me to talk about gardening because I'm not much of a gardener. We've got some good gardeners over here somewhere, where are they? I saw them before, John and Sherry and the family, good gardeners. I'm not a very good gardener. I seem to be great at growing weeds, but not so good at growing plants. In fact, I can't kill weeds, but I regularly break the fifth commandment, thou shalt not murder when it comes to plants. I'm a plant serial killer. As a gardener, I have some things to learn, but I am determined to grow. And so at Christmas time, I decided to dig up our front lawn, which was pretty much dead, and replace it with a garden full of native plants, because I've heard it's pretty hard to kill them. And so I did the hard work with a shovel and buckets of digging out the lawn. I dug it out, I leveled it off, and I laid some weed mat over the top. And then I got my consultant. She's very expensive. Her name's Kim. And she advised me on the plants we should get and where where she'd like them planted. And so we headed off to Bunnings and we purchased the plants together. When we returned, we, we laid them out to get the positioning right in the front yard. And then I cut some slots in the weed mat where we wanted to plant the plants and I started to dig. Now, at our house... The soil is not very good at all. In fact, when you get a few inches below the surface, it's closer to rock than it is to dirt. You mean you get sparks off the shovel when you're trying to dig. And so who knows that soil is important? Good soil is important. There's not many gardens here, obviously, because no one put up their hand. But good soil is important. We want to plant ourselves in good soil. That's why we want to be in a good church. We want to surround ourselves with encouraging friends. We need to find good mentors. We want to be in the Word every day, B-I-O-Y. We want to spend time in prayer. You might want to join a MCG small group next weekend at our sign-up week. Uh, You want to surround yourself with good people and find yourself in good soil because that will help us grow spiritually. But in our front yard, physically speaking, we had bad soil. And upon reflection, one of the reasons that previous plants had not grown is because I didn't do the hard work of digging down deep enough. And so I just dug the bare minimum because it got a bit harder, and then I just put the plant in the hole and kind of shoved the roots in and tried to squeeze them in and and put a little bit of tan bark over the top and then cross my fingers and hope they'd grow. Clearly, that plan didn't work. It failed. And so this time I was determined to do it properly. And so I went round to Jim Bilson's house. Jim has got a tool for every single occasion. And I needed a bar to get through the rock in my front yard. And so I borrowed one of those big bars about this tall. Well, maybe it's not that tall. Maybe it's this tall. It's a preacher's exaggeration. But I got a bar and I, I actually barred out every hole for every plant. And so I used the bar and... And I'd get the shovel and put in a bucket and then my little helper Lenny would take it down to the front nature strip and I'd bar out the next one and then shovel it in and then we'd do that until we got all of the, the, the holes dug. And the reason I did that is that I wanted to get deep enough 
so that I could put some good soil under the plant and all around the roots uh, so that it had the best possible chance of growing. And so we planted the plants and we got the tan bark, which we spread right over the top of it. We also moved one of our tin vegetable patches from the backyard where our miniature bull terrier Darcy had wrongly assumed that we put it there for him as a sandpit. And we brought it into the front yard and then we planted some fruit and vegetable seeds in it. Now, over the last month, we have diligently fed, watered and cared for our garden. And guess what? I've worked out that gardening's a matter of input and output. Right? If you put something in and you care for it, you're going to get something out. It's a little bit like our faith. If you put something in and you care for yourself spiritually, you're going to get some fruit out. And so our front garden, it's now growing. I've discovered that the gardening's are a bit more simple than I thought. The shrubs are starting to spread, the flowers are blooming, and we are getting fruit and vegetables from the garden. And so I can go out at breakfast time and I can just pick strawberries straight off and start eating them. And then Kim will come out and she'll say, are there any strawberries? And I'll say, well, I'm not really sure as I wipe the strawberry off my face. And, and then she'll say, are there any tomatoes? And I'll say, well, there's heaps of tomatoes there because they're not part of God's good creation. They're a result of the curse. And so plenty of tomatoes. I mean, they're only good for sauce. So you can take the tomatoes with you. And but at the same time, you can take the cucumbers and the carrots and the, the herbs. And there's all sorts of stuff that's now growing in our garden. And it's a wonderful thing. When I drive into our front uh, driveway now, I drive in with a sense of pride. I used to kind of ignore the lawn because even though it was dead, it just grew in enough places that you still had to mow it. And so I kind of ignore it, turn the music up and get in the garage as quickly as I can. But now when I drive into the driveway, I can stop and I can look at the front yard and I can go, ah, the serenity. It's lovely, isn't it? It's wonderful. It used to bug me. It used to bug me because everything was dead. Just dead lawn. No flowers, no vegetables, no fruit. I used to find it irritating, but now it's attractive. It looks good. It smells good. It even tastes good. It's an environment that I want to be in. Why? Because it's a garden full of plants that are now doing what they're meant to be doing. As I thought about this week, I, I wondered to myself, if this faith community was a garden, how would we describe Follow Baptist Church? Is it a garden like I used to have with very little growth that's kind of irritating to the world around it? Or is it a garden that's been planted in this community full of branches that are producing fruit, reproducing Jesus in a way that's attractive? I hope when people encounter us as followers of Jesus that we evoke the same emotions in people that I now experience when I walk into my front yard, that we're attractive because the fruit of our lives is making this world a better place. I think this morning it's easy to think about it corporately. Kind of hide ourselves in a faith community like this and go, yeah, well, follow Baptist Church. I think, you know, we could get better at stuff, but we're, we're bearing some fruit and that's wonderful. But today, I want to bring it down. I want to hone it all the way down to each and every individual. And I want to ask you a question this morning. And the question is simple. What about you? What about you? If you're really honest with yourself this morning, and considering your spiritual life, would you be a branch that hasn't produced much fruit for a while? I wonder if I was to ask you to reflect on 2019. Would you say it was a fruitful year? Did you grow in your faith last year? Are you more like Jesus today than you were this time last year? Perhaps it would be a better question to ask those around you. What if I was to ask your family? Parents, if I went to your kids this morning, and I said, here's a list of the fruits of the Spirit. 
And here's your parents. Is that what your parents are like? Because that's what your parents are meant to be like. Would they look at that and would they go, yeah, well, my parents are like that. There's love and joy and peace and all of those things. Or would they look at that and go, what the? Like, my parents, they're nothing like that. And kids, before you get too proud this morning, what if I put the shoe on the other foot? And I went to your parents and I said, here's the fruits of the Spirit and, and here's a photo of your beautiful child. Do those two things match up? Or is there a disconnect between the fruits of the Spirit and the lives that we are living? What if I went to your boss? What if I went into your friendship circle, your workmates, your employees? What about other kids at your school? What if I talk to the mums you meet at school pickup? What about the teammates from your sporting club? Would they recognise you as someone with godly fruit? Would they say there's something different about that person? There's a blessing and a favour on their lives, regardless of the circumstances they go through, that I can't put my finger on, but man, it's attractive. It makes me curious. I want to know about your life. Why is it that you can be joyful even in difficult times of life? What's different about you? Well, I hope and pray that this year our heart's desire is to be those kinds of people because the truth is we only get one shot at this life and as the Apostle Paul said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so if you're still breathing air today, guess what? You are alive and therefore the greatest purpose of our lives is to be fruitful and represent Christ in all that we do for the rest of our lives, every second and every minute, every minute and every hour, every hour in every day for the year to come and for the rest of our lives. And so the question becomes, how do we live lives like that? How do we bear the kind of fruit that today's passage talks about? Fruit that lasts. How do we make sure that we're continually growing and changing to be more Christ-like? How do we as a community work out this thing? How do we know that we're going to bloom where we're planted in 2020? Well, I think John 15 gives us the answer. And to summarise the answer in a very simple way, it's this. That fruitfulness flows from intimacy. Fruitfulness flows from intimacy and connection with God. And so the most important thing, we start Vision Month today, at the start of a new year, in the midst of all of our resolutions and all of our good intentions, the most important thing above all else is to say that we are people who know God. And it's critically important to know Him if we're going to bear fruit Because as Jesus says in verse 8, this is to my Father's glory that you, each of us, bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And so what's one of the indicators of discipleship? Well, it's fruitfulness. In verse 16, he says, I chose you and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. For my garden to grow, it needed a few things. It needed a gardener. That gardener was me, and so please intercede on behalf of my plants this week. But it also needed plants, plants that were full of life so that the branches could be healthy and bear fruit. The plants needed to be fed. They needed to be watered. They need the right soil and weather conditions. They need the wind, and they need the sun, and they need the rain to help them bloom and be everything they were designed to be. And I believe we need very similar things or similar elements when it comes to our spiritual life, if we're to bloom where God has planted us. In the analogy of John 15, you and I are the branches. And in order for branches to stay alive, they need to be connected to something. In this case, they need to be connected to a vine so that we can be healthy and grow and bear fruit. The vine in verse 1 is Jesus. Jesus says, I am the true vine. But we also need a gardener. And it says in verse 1 who the gardener is. The gardener is God the Father. 
And so we need a gardener to tend and to care for us. And we also need the wind of the Holy Spirit to empower us to live for Christ. And I think we get a glimpse of this reality in the metaphor Jesus uses in this passage. Now, when I think of this passage, it's a well-known passage of Scripture. I often think of it as a Jesus passage. And it certainly is that. It's the last I am statement that Jesus makes in John's Gospel. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in today's passage, the last of these statements, he says, I am the true vine. And so it's definitely a Jesus passage. But I think it's actually deeper than that. I think this is a Trinitarian passage that reminds us of the importance of a triune God who is the source of fruitfulness in our lives. You know, when Christians talk about God... It's very different from when every other faith talking, when, when they talk about God. Because our understanding of God is that he is one God in three persons. And so we often hear people say, well, thank God, and we pray to God. But they don't necessarily mean the triune God that we worship. I've heard people say that Christians and Muslims worship the same God. But it's clearly not true because Muslims believe that while Jesus was a great prophet, they also say he's not as great as Muhammad and he's certainly not God. So he can't be the same God that we worship. On Wednesday, we had a staff meeting at Esther and Blair's house. And while we were having the meeting, the Jehovah's Witness knocked on the door and they dropped off their watchtower flyers and wanted to come in for a coffee. And we said, no, we're having a staff meeting. Now's not the time. And even though the scriptures they read are almost identical to ours, the conclusion they come to is that Jesus is not God. All the way through their tracks, it says, Jesus is not God. Jesus is not God. Jesus is not God. And so a lot of their language is very similar around the kingdom of God and Jesus representing God's character, but they miss the truth of the Trinity that is seen all the way through the scriptures from the very first book of Genesis to the very last book of Revelation. Tragically, these people never come to know God because they focus on one person of the Godhead and they discount the other ones completely. But you and I, the start of Vision Month, it's important to clarify who's the God that we worship. Well, the God we worship is the triune God. One God, three persons. Theologians have termed this the Trinity, and even though the word Trinity doesn't appear in Scripture, the activity of a triune God is evident right throughout. And so if fruitfulness comes from intimacy and relationship with God, it's critically important for us to know him fully as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You might think, well, why is that so important? Well, it's important for this reason. I think it's very hard to love or to be loved by a God who's just some force out there in the universe. It's hard to feel connected to a God who's just some aloof, angry man in the sky. But when we understand the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he goes from not only being powerful, but now he becomes incredibly personal. And I think that's a big difference. We need to know this triune God in all the fullness of who he is. And we can look at other religions and we can see how they clearly miss it. But what I've noticed over the years is that even some of us as Christians seem to primarily relate to God through one of the persons of the Trinity rather than seeing him in all the fullness of his glory. You hear it in the words and prayers that Christians say. Some people say, well, I'm, I'm a spirit person. And they most commonly or even exclusively use that language. They pray in that way, come Holy Spirit. And they talk about being led by the Spirit, filled by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. They say, I'm a spirit person. Others 
other people focus on God as the Father, and they exclusively talk about God being a Father. They come back to the Father's heart of, as their way of thinking about God, and they focus on his authority and his power. And then, of course, there are people who just love the person of Jesus. And if I was to sort of err towards one of these, it would be definitely this one. We just love Jesus. We look at his example. We want to be like him. We want to worship him and follow him in all that we do. I want to make it clear, of course, this morning, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with these approaches. All of them are helpful and beautiful in their own ways. But what I'm trying to say is this. If we elevate one person of the Trinity and consistently diminish the others, we'll never fully grasp the triune nature, wonder and beauty of all the attributes of God in all of his fullness and it will hinder the fruitfulness of our lives. Some of us have a portrait view of God, and what we need to have today is a panoramic view of him. The analogy that John gives us in John, that Jesus gives us in John 15 of the vine and the gardener is a beautiful picture of God, and I think the Trinity at work, and it broadens our view of this incredible God who we serve. And so we think about the Holy Spirit, and this passage at doesn't mention the Spirit directly, but we know as Christians that the work of the Spirit in our spiritual walk is absolutely critical. In fact, without the work of the Holy Spirit, we would never have come to know Jesus because we didn't pursue Him, He pursued us. That's a beautiful truth of the Gospel. And in John 14, the very chapter previous to this analogy, Jesus had promised the gift of the Holy Spirit. John 14, 16, He says, I will ask the Father and He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. In the very next chapter after John 15, we come to John 16, and Jesus talks about the spirit again, and he says he will guide you into all truth. And so in this passage, John 14 to 16, we see the Holy Spirit at work. Which brings us to the Son. Jesus, the Son of God, is the living word of truth. And so our salvation has only come because the Spirit of God has done a work in our hearts. He has drawn us to the love of Jesus. And he's brought us to the point of realizing that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Without the work of the Spirit, we would never be part of the vine. But as we receive Jesus as our Savior, the Bible says we are grafted into the vine, the true vine. And it's in the vine that we grow. It's a place of health and nourishment. Look at verse 4, it says, Remain in me, Jesus says, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. The vine Jesus is where we come alive and start to bear fruit that lasts. The fruit is explained in this passage primarily as love. In verse 12, Jesus says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay their life down for their friends. In verse 17, Jesus, if we miss it the first time, re-emphasizes this. He says, This is my command, love each other. And so the Spirit and the Son are involved in this portion of Scripture, but Jesus is the one who brings us to the Father. Who's the Father? Well, it tells us once again in verse 1. He is the gardener. 
Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it will be even more fruitful. And so Jesus brings us to God the Father. Now, my granddad, when he used to have his house before he moved into a village, always loved his garden. But there have been times where I've visited his garden the day after he had pruned it. And you wouldn't know he cares for it at all because it's hacked right back so that it's completely bare. Beautiful branches are cut off the tree so that it looks a little bit like an amputee. It's a brutal process. And I have thought, man, he has wrecked his beautiful garden, only to revisit in a couple of months later and to see that that hacked back garden now looks like the Garden of Eden. There's new branches, there's flowers and fruit and vegetables that look like they've been eating steroids. And it's more lush than it ever was before. And with my track record, who am I to judge the gardener? But isn't that what we do with God the Father when he prunes us? So often we judge him for what he allows in our lives. We, we question him, we judge him, we think, God, what are you doing? Why is this happening to me? Where are you? Do you even listen to my prayers? And all these doubts and fears come. We start to doubt his goodness and his care and we, we get all downcast about it. But for so many people I speak to, 2019 was a difficult year. For me, it's a year I'm happy to see in the rear view. It started bad, it got worse as we went, and I'm glad to see the end of 2019. And so many people seem to be like that about last year. And let me tell you, if you feel that last year was difficult, maybe, just maybe, it was a year of pruning. If you're walking with Jesus, and last year you were pruned, it should fill you with expectation and excitement about what Jesus is going to do this year. Because let me tell you, every cutback is an opportunity for a bounce back. Every prune leads to greater potential to flourish and bear fruit. Now, in our limited wisdom, we don't always know what is good for us. And in the difficult times, we need to know and trust that it's the gardener who knows what's best for the branches. In John 14 to 16, we see the triune God at work. Without the wind of the Spirit, we'd never come to know Jesus the vine. And without Jesus the vine, who says, I'm the way, the truth, the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, we'd never experience the care of God the Father, who is the great gardener in our lives. So as we finish this morning, I want to ask you the question, what's the big takeaway week one of Vision Month? as we start to explore what it looks like to bloom where we are planted. Because there's no use talking about fruitfulness if we don't start with relationship. So what's the big takeaway? Well, the big takeaway is what I said before, that faithfulness flows from intimacy. Faithfulness flows from intimacy. If we're going to bloom, we need to know God in all of his fullness. And so this year, my number one goal above every other goal in my life is to grow in my intimacy with God knowing that the fruit will naturally flow from that relationship, resulting in me living the purpose God has always had for my life to be fruitful. And so I'd encourage you at the start of a new year to have that same goal as a foundation for everything else you do this year. This year, I want to grow in my love for God as my Father. You know, yesterday I went to watch Lenny play basketball for the first time. He's never shown real, really any interest in basketball at all. He had no idea what he's doing, and, and he's my son, so I wasn't, I'm not going to say he played hopeless, but he played pretty close to hopeless. 
He just ran around like a headless chook and he touched the ball a couple of times. And, and man, you know, when I watched him play, I didn't care how well he played. I was just so proud that he was my son. And even when he grabbed the ball and he ran down the end of the court like he was playing rugby and he was about to do a touchdown, uh, oblivious to the whistle that was going and the ref saying, hey, stop, and oblivious to the coach saying, bounce the ball, I was there on the sidelines going, that's my son, touchdown, you know, it was amazing. But my love for him didn't come from his performance, thankfully. My love came because he's my son and I love him with the love of a father. For many of you, it's hard to relate to God like that. Maybe you had an abusive father, an absent father. Maybe you never knew your dad. And so it's very hard for you to think of God as a father because you're always looking at God through the filter of your earthly father and it taints your image of God. Well, Maybe this year it's time to allow God to redeem your understanding of what a true father is. And start looking at fatherhood not through the image of your own dad but through the person and the God who is our father, and let it redeem the way you see fatherhood. And when I think of how much I love my kids, it's hard to explain that love in words, but I'd do anything for them. I want them to flourish. I want to wrap my arms around them and tell them how much I love them. I want them to know that they're safe. And I had a dad who did this for me, and I'm so grateful for that. But I'm so proud of my kids. And when I think of them, the only thing that comes to my mind is a, is a feeling of deep love and great affection, regardless of how good or bad they've been, regardless of how successful or unsuccessful they are. I just love them because they're my kids. I want to guide them. I want to teach them and discipline them. I want to tend to them, encourage them and care for them. I want to tailor my schedule so that I'm available for them. I want to tell you this morning that God loves you like that but at a much greater level, because I'm not a perfect dad. Far from it. But we have a God who is a father, and he is a perfect father. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He's never abusive or absent. He says that we are the apple of his eye. I want the great gardener this year to prune me and care for me so that I can bear fruit for his glory. I want to know the love of a father, to feel the reality of that love, knowing that I am his precious child. But this year, I also want to grow my love for God the Son. I want to love people like Jesus loves me. I want to see people the way he saw people. I want to grow in his compassion. I want to care for the marginalized, the hurting and the broken. I want to learn from his sacrifice. I want to appreciate in new ways all that he accomplished for me and for you at Calvary. I want to know his presence with me, remembering that he can empathize with us in our weakness because he has gone through all the same temptations and so much more and yet came through it without sin. And he can empathize with us in our weakness. I want to know the brotherly love of Jesus, to know that whatever I go through this year, he walks with me as my brother. I want to walk in his way. I want to grow in his truth. I want to experience the fullness of his life the life that he offers. I want to remain in him as he remains in me. I want to grow as a branch connected to the vine who brings life. I want God the Son to transform me from the inside out this year, to conform me more into his image. I want to know the brotherly love of walking with Jesus as part of the great family of God. But I also want to grow in my love for God the Spirit. I want him to lead me into all truth to point me back to Jesus. I want to be sensitive to his voice and know what he's saying. I want to worship in spirit. I want him to convict me of sin, challenge me to trust him in new ways and take me places I've never been before. I want to hear the whisper of his leading. 
I want to grow in his gifts and flourish in his fruits. I want to be more spirit-led than ever before this year. I want to know the intimacy of the Spirit's presence with me, and not only with me, but in me. What incredible intimacy that is. This morning, I hope that you're being captivated afresh by the God that we serve. As we are captivated afresh by his love, I hope our picture of God is becoming panoramic, that the bigness of God is what we're being reminded of, that we serve a wonderful, wonderful God and what a privilege it is to know him and to serve him. So let me encourage you in week one of Vision Month to do whatever it takes to grow in your intimacy with God, to find those moments in your week where you can be still and know that he is God in all of his bigness, in all of his fullness, in all of his glory, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Thanks for joining us for our weekly message. If you're in the southeast area of Melbourne, we'd love for you to join us at our Sunday morning service. All the details can be found on our website at follow.church, or you can find us on social media at Follow Baptist Church.